Last Sunday, if you were here, uh, you as a church body, you prayed for us and commissioned us to go. And it was so jo- it's a, such a joyful time, not only to be commissioned by you guys, but also to celebrate with the baptism of our five-year-old daughter. And, uh, you know, Katie's been praying all along, Lord, I, I know the due date does not sink, but I really would like to kiss my nephew before I cross the pond. And what a sweet providence. We know he's always doing a million things at one time, but for us personally, it was a sweet providence to not only celebrate the birth of Teresa Pugh, but also the birth of now our newest nephew, Patton Oliver Pugh. And so God is good to us. And we we know uh, that sometimes we have to, we have to scream that sometimes because it's, it's not easy to hear. And I don't know if you came into this room this morning with that sentence not really being easy to hear or not, uh, but I am praying that as we look to God's word, that that's what you'll hear. Now for us, like it, it's all over the place, like God's good. And, but we do recognize that for others, it, it might not be easy to hear that right now. And so, I just want you to know that's what I'm praying this morning as we open God's word. Would you join me? I'm gonna read Genesis 11 verses one through nine and then pray and ask God to bless this time and then we'll we'll look into this text as the Lord leads. Genesis 11 uh, verses one through nine. I'm reading out of the ESV, which will be on the screen if you don't have a copy in front of you. Holy Spirit of God says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen or tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose or propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And they're confused their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off building the city. Verse nine, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, just as brother Wayne said, your word will not return void. And that applies not just to the nations and the peoples and the language who haven't heard it yet for the first time. That applies to every single person in this room, including myself. So Father, we pray now that you would come and by the power of your spirit, you would make your word effectual for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Moi voulais les bons moukwai, et des moupoches moui yishien Yesu Christu, et j'ai pouché ko umu upishiki. Pouché namukwata umweo umuyayaya? Namukwata? Fin chez moi papa. 
Oh, you guys are looking confused. What's going on? You're not answering my question. I said, do you want to eat a Big Mac with me? <laughs> no, I said, I said something else. I said, do you have eternal life in Jesus Christ? But it's confusing, right? Because I was speaking a different language and I'm, I'm, I'm a probably, I'm 99.9999% sure there are no native Chibimba speakers in this room. So I'm pretty sure the last few seconds was total confusion for everyone sitting in the building. And we think, we come to this text in Genesis 11, and we think, man, that's, that's the story of when languages were, were created. That's, that's the tale. Like, if, you know, if we're telling our kids, you know, they meet someone in the grocery store, on the playground, and they're speaking a language they don't understand, and they ask us the question, Mommy, they talk weird. Why do they talk weird? We say, oh, well, back in the Bible in Genesis 11, this is how. And if we're not careful, we simply relegate this passage to the tale of when languages were created. And we relegate it to back then, and we think about right now, and we say, no relevance. And we read the text and perhaps with a casual reading or just with a, with a, a cursory hearing of it, we, we can come to this text and the truth that God really wants us to catch in the right now may not always seem obvious. And ironically, there's really much confusion over Babel. The word babble in the Hebrew sounds like the word for confusion and hence the name of this, this little city. And ironically, we come to the text and, and we still are confused about, all right, how does this fit into what God really wants me to take away in my daily life? And if you're honest, has anyone in this room ever thought, God, I think you messed up this time. <laughs> has anyone ever tried to learn another language that's not your mother tongue? For those of you who have tried to do that, how many times, if you're honest, would you say, man, I really don't like that this happened? We're going to Zambia, uh, my wife and I, and I had the privilege of serving in the nation of Zambia as a single guy right when I finished college back in 2002. And so from 2002 to 2004, I lived in the northern part of Zambia working with the Bimba people of northern Zambia, African tribe there. Most of the people that far away from city, the city did not speak English well. There were a few folks who did, but in order to really communicate with the people, like many folks who moved to a different country, I had to set about the task of learning a foreign language, this Chibimba. And I remember some of the missionaries there said, all right, you can get a tutor to come to your little place and kind of do some dialogue with you, or you can do this. If you really wanna get the language though, there's this institute run by these two Catholic priests, which that's the order of Catholic priests who are missionaries to Africa. They're called the White Fathers. And he says, you can go, the White Fathers have this institute. And, uh, but I mean, it's really out there in the bush. Like it's, you can't even get there at some points of the year because of the rainy season. And so if you go there, like you're going, like you're not coming to check in. There's no, uh, you know, how are you doing? Like you're gonna be out there. It's gonna be a three months intensive language induction if that's the route you wanna take. And I said, yeah, let me take that route. So I went out there, I got to the institution and uh, they showed me to my room, which looked like a prison cell. And uh, I set about the task of trying to learn Chibimba. 
And I was surrounded by my bimba tutor, a lady named Rose. And I was these two white fathers. One was an 80 year old uh, uh, German who had been in Zambia about 40 years. The other was a 75 year old French Canadian who had been in Zambia for about 30 or 40 years as well. And so we had three meals a day together, myself and these two Catholic priests. And the only other interaction I had was with my bimba tutor and the bimba people who lived in the village and spoke completely uh, no English. So I can remember about a month and a half into this, so you remember it's three month program, so it's halfway through. About a month and a half into this, I could not even say hello. And man, I was frustrated. Six hours a day, dialoguing with my tutor, and then in the afternoons, trying to go out to the village and practice the bimba I was supposed to learn that morning, and I was frustrated. And I can remember about a month and a half into it, I started walking down the dirt path of that village and I was supposed to be practicing my bimba, but I didn't have any. So I, instead I was just venting my frustration with God. And I can remember, man, here I am, some country boy from Alabama. God, you sent me here to Zambia and I can't even say hello to these people. And out of my lips, I verbally said, God, what have you done? Now, we're going to come back to that story in a moment, but isn't that really one of life's perennial questions that every human heart has to answer? Because in that moment, what I was saying was, God, do you really know what you're doing? We come to this text, and honestly, when we look in the mirror, I'm sure we ask that question sometimes. God, do you really know what you're doing? So I got confusion all my life and I can't make sense of it. I feel scattered here and there and this relationship and, and that issue at work and this financial millstones hanging out. Do you know what you're doing? It really is one of life's perennial questions and we come to this text, this text really does help us to answer that question rightly. And it does so, I believe, with at least three truths. And that's what I want to look at this morning. First of all, here's the first truth that I think will help answer, us answer that question correctly. And here's the truth. It's on the screen in your bulletin. You can fill in the blanks if you want. That's just to keep you from falling asleep. <laughs> here's the first truth. Fallen humanity united results in evil even when those results may not seem obvious. Fallen humanity united results in evil, even when those results may not seem obvious. You look at the text, we have really, if you look at it in a cursory fashion, this is a beautiful thing in some ways. Here you have a group of humanity and it's like the perfect business meeting, right? I make a motion, I second it. All God's people said, amen, and we prove it. This is a united people. Notice what it says here. It says in verse three that they said, hey, let's do this, and they did it, no dissent. It says in verse four, they say to one another, let's do this, and they did it, no dissent. They are united. They're united people, and guess what? They're also creative They've been made in God's image and they have certain gifts 
and abilities and personalities, and they are putting those things to work. Verse three says this. It's, it's kind of a, a weird kind of a side, we think. It says in verse three, they made bricks, and for brick they had stone, and they had bitumen for mortar. Like, why does, he, why does Moses kind of throw that detail in there? He throws it in there to show, like, these guys were creative. Like, making mortar out of tar slime? That's pretty creative. Making bricks out of their, uh, what they had here, the stone, that, that's, that's pretty creative. They were a created group of unified people. And we ask ourselves, what's wrong with that? Anything wrong with being created? Or excuse me, <laughs> anything wrong with being created? Anything wrong with being creative? Anything wrong with being united? And the answer is, there's nothing at all wrong with that unless it's fallen. Unless it is a unity in defiance of and an independence from the God who made you unless it is a creativity that is in disobedience to the one who gave you those creativity or those creative skills in the first place, if that's what the creativity is being used for. So nothing's wrong with it except if it's fallen. And, and we know this is what's going on here. We got fallen human beings and they are uniting together in their fallen condition to issue a united front saying, we are independent from the one who made us and we are going to defy the one who made us. Look at their defiance. Verse two, they said this, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. Look at verse, verse four. Why are they building this city and this tower in the first place? They're doing it, verse four, so that lest we be dispersed over the face of the entire earth. And you remember back in chapter one, verse 28, God's commission to the first man and the first woman, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and I want you to what? disperse unless we think the flood changed that Genesis 9 1 says the exact same thing to Noah Noah be fruitful and multiply and disperse and in blatant defiance this group of unified humanity says we will not we will not disperse they're defiant and they're manifesting their desire for independence from God. Look at verse four. This tower that they built says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. I was talking about this text with someone this week and they said, you know, ironically, they really did make a name for themselves. But their name is now infamous and not famous. And contrary to what the three amigos think, infamous does not mean more than famous. It means being famous for the wrong reasons. But their desire was, look, we wanna, we wanna defy this guy who told us to disperse. No, I think we'll settle down. 
We wanna be independent from this God who wants us to be dependent upon him. So they, let's make a tower of the heavens and we will, from the top going, from the bottom going up, we will usurp his power and authority and we'll somehow manage and wrangle and rest his power, his authority, and we'll have it for ourselves and not make a name for him. We'll make a name for ourselves. And that's the cry of every fallen human heart, isn't it? Not just those who are in governmental seats of authority, but even the little child, right? When we first see the first manifestation of their wicked, depraved heart, we say, yep, okay, the Bible's right. (laughs) I remember I was just a little boy and um, I, I kind of had a, a, a kleptomaniac condition. Like I like to steal things. Like I gotta go into the store and steal things. And I got so good at, like I'm not bragging on that. Like I, I, that's bad. Like I got so good at it though. Like I got a nickname named Sneaky Dave. Like I had an airbrush on my hat and everything. Like I thought I was cool. But you know why like, I really stole those things? It wasn't because I wanted to eat the candy bar though I did sometimes. It's because I, I wanted to hear, there you go. Let's make a name for you. No matter how corny it looks on your little Florida Marlins hat, let's make a name for you. Fallen humanity united always results in evil. We see that what began in chapter three with the tree is still reality. And I've been trying to rhyme or rap or anything like that, but it's still true, Right? What did Eve do when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was desirable to make one wise and it was pleasant to the eyes? What did she do? She did what the tempter told her to do. Take it and you will what? You will be like God. And there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch it. And they touched it and they ate. God's not against knowledge. God's not against our creativity. God's not against unity. God's not against building and commerce. And God's not against what some of us have fallen trapped to the enemy to believe. God's not against our joy and our happiness. He is for all those things. He is for our unity. He's for our creativity. He's the one who gave it to us. He is for our knowledge. He wants us to grow daily in knowledge and he is for our joy. But as those things are gained, by dependence upon him and in obedience to him. Because he knows when we try to go from the bottom up, it's never gonna work, is it? Isn't it ironic how it says in verse five, the Lord came down? (laughs) Here they are, they thought they had like this awesome big time it's going up so high and the Lord's like yeah that's the best you can do let me even come down and see the best you can do the meaning there is like you're never going to build a tower to reach me you're never going to have a a joy that is sustaining if it leaves me out you're never going to have a unity that is healing for you and for your community if it's without me being united with me your creativity is always going to blow up in your face if it's not a creativity to this harness by my spirit. 
This is fallen humanity united, and it always results in evil. Genesis 6 tells us, verse 5 through 8. Genesis 8, 21 tells us the same thing. Even after the flood, look at 8, 21. It says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of Noah, but the Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man for... This is after the flood. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. We're still fallen, right? We saw that last week. The flood did not wash away the stain of our fallen humanity. Something better than the flood is what we needed to wash that away, which is the blood of Jesus, right? We're still fallen. Here they are, they're still fallen. And here is the truth. When fallen humanity unites, it results not only in evil and defiance against God vertically, but it always issues out horizontally, doesn't it? Because, you know, someone could come to this text and say, wait a second, all right. Sure, they left God out of the picture. They, they, they try to usurp his authority. We get that. He, but it says nothing in the text about them being harmful to one another. I mean, why can't God just leave them alone? It looks like they're doing pretty good by themselves. It doesn't say anyone was fighting or, or, or committing sexual adultery, spiritual adultery, sexual uh, immorality. Honestly, if you look closer at the text, we learn in chapter 10 that there was a man by the name of Nimrod. If you'd flip just one chapter over, we didn't look at this text on our Sunday mornings, but you look at chapter 10, verse nine. It says, this guy Nimrod, actually verse eight, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. It's not a good term. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it was said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Which by the way, chapter 10 and chapter 11 are not placed chronologically. 11 happens before 10. But probably this guy Nimrod was the leader of this endeavor. And from what we know from extra biblical resources, Nimrod was the first Hitler on the earth. It was not a happy, cozy, peaceful community, even though it looks that way from a cursory reading. And even if we could not find evidence in the text that this was not going good for everyone horizontally in terms of interpersonal relationships, we would know that from the rest of the scripture and from the rest of reality. Whenever we mess up the line vertically, it always messes up horizontally. Isn't that true? In other words, we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves if our love is not being fueled first by a love for our creator. It never happens. Fallen humanity united always results in evil. I can remember as um, a young boy, you guys are gonna think, man, you, you were a, a juvenile delinquent. And yeah, you're right. As a young boy, we got together and uh, in our little circle of friends, sometimes we would have, um, well, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, vandalism parties. So like, you know, a group of us would go and roll the house of one of our friends and they in turn would get us back and roll our house. And so this has been going on. There've been a couple uh, different uh, attacks and counterattacks. And so uh, our, our group of friends said, all right, let's go, let's go roll this house. And sitting there about five or six of us and we're thinking about what all we're gonna do. And one, one guy said, yeah let's, uh, yeah, let's get some toilet paper and we'll throw in the trees, you know. Yeah. Another guy said, yeah, we could break some plastic, you know, uh, cutlery and like sticking in their yard and all that. And like, yeah. Another guy said, let's get some Vaseline. Like we'll put it under the handles of their car. Like that'll be, I'm not trying to give any ideas to any students out there. All right. 
The other guy said, yeah, let's get some, like, uh, get some, like, paint and do something here. And then one guy was like, yeah, then we jump in the house and, like, follow them in their sleep. And we were like, whoa. But see how it began to escalate or rather de-escalate? And that's just a microcosm of the macro truth. When fallen humanity is united, it will never result in good. Because good cannot come this way if it's not first aligned this way. So what we need is a good God to prevent us from throttling someone in their sleep or throttling ourselves, which leads us to our next point. We said fallen humanity united results in evil. Perfect divinity united results in mercy. And again, even when those results do not seem Obvious. What do you mean by divinity united? Well, look at verse seven. God's speaking here. He says, come, let us. Humanity's united. They say twice, come, let us do this. Come, let us do this. God says, come, let us do this. Many people say, is he talking to the angels? No, he's probably not. He is probably taking counsel in his divine being, which we know from the rest of scripture, God exists in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, yet existing in three who's. Pastor Keith will explain that in just a moment, exactly how it all works out. He's so big, so grand, so glorious, we can't fully comprehend that, but yet we do know this, there is a plurality within God, but he is never divided. The Spirit's never at variance with the Father, nor the Son, with the Spirit. The Godhead, the triune God, is perfectly united always. And his unity always results in mercy, even when it doesn't seem obvious. So God comes down, verse seven, and he says, I'm going to confuse their language and I'm going to scatter them. God creates the confusion and God creates the scattering. And I'm saying that's mercy that God did that. God creates the confusion to curb the carnal craving of cursed humanity. God sends the scattering to stop the spread of sinfulness that was festering and brewing there at Babel. God is the one who does it. It's obvious from the text and it is mercy that God does it. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have confusion all over your life. Some of you are sitting in this, this morning and you feel like you are scattered, like Bilbo Baggins says, like butter over too much bread. That's right, I use Bilbo. You feel thin, you feel worn out, you feel confused, you feel depressed. And I'm saying to you, there's mercy there. There's mercy. In fact, Every judgment of God this side of eternity is always mingled with mercy. Everyone. Remember in Luke 13? Luke 13, someone came to Jesus, verse one through five, and they they told him, it says, of the, the blood, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus says, hey, I got another newsflash for you. What about that, the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed 18 people? 
And Jesus responds to both of those news flashes, this moral atrocity, Pilate butchering these worshipers and this natural disaster, this tower falling and killing these people. Jesus responds to both with the same statement. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So why did he respond that way? He responded that way because he was saying on this side of eternity, every judgment of God is always mingled with mercy. And God is screaming, maybe through moral atrocity, maybe through natural disaster, maybe through the confusion and scattering of our lives, God is screaming, there's mercy, there's mercy. I'm bringing the confusion. I'm bringing the scattering. I'm bringing down the tower. I'm letting this man do this for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is so that you will hear me screaming, come unto me, all those who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come confused, come scattered, come broken, come to me. May this tragedy be a wake up call for you. May I ask you church, visitors, is there a trail of mercy that God wants you to find this morning? around the rubble of your life or the unfinished projects that surround you that you thought and you hoped and you dreamed, man, by this point in life, I'd have this ticked off. I've reached this goal. Is there a strand of mercy that a good God is trying to get you to follow as it leads to the cross? Every act of judgment this side of eternity is always mingled with mercy. And in fact, when God does not come down and confuse fallen humanity united. When God does not come down and scatter fallen humanity united, it is a manifestation of his wrath. And so in 1973, the highest court of our land in this country said, we're going to define for ourselves in independence from God and defiance of him what human life means. And on Friday, that same court made a new definition as well. And I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm not trying to mingle there, but we are trying to speak from the word and apply it accurately to our day and age. When we, in independence from God, in defiance to what he says, we make a move and he doesn't shut us down. That's not a sign that wrath is coming. That's a sign wrath has come. Because you know the text, Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed against heaven, against all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals 
And how does God manifest his wrath? Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28 of Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up to do what their carnal cravings wanted to do. Therefore God let them build their tower. Therefore God did not scatter them, but instead let them follow their depraved desires to its conclusion. So how do we respond when around us it seems as if God might be doing that? How do we respond? Well, we can hunker in our bunker. We can, we can be passive and say, well, let me just kind of take care of myself and, and, and you know, just kind of close my ears to maybe the majority that, that I once was a part of here and now I'm not. Or, or let me be active and let me make sure we have the best and the right, the greatest political candidate to, to kind of circumvent this next time. And all those things may be good in a way, but here's what we really need to be doing. Keep doing the good that God has called us to do, right? Which leads us to the last point. We said fallen humanity united results in evil, but redeemed humanity united results in good, even when it may not seem obvious. Genesis chapter 11 really is a foil for the next chapter, Genesis 12. Here in Genesis 11, God is confusing and scattering in his mercy. But then in chapter 12, he says, you know what? Now I'm going to begin to take care of this fallen nature of my creatures. And so in Genesis chapter 12, he very clearly calls a man named Abram. And instead of scattering him, he says, I'm going to use you to gather all the families of the earth. And the folks at Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves, but God says to Abram, I, top down, I'm gonna make a name for you. And we read on and we'll see later in this book that progressively God begins to unfold his plan. And we get to chapter 28 and we see one of uh, Abraham's grandsons, a man named Jacob, who has this dream at this place called Bethel. And in this dream, he sees this ladder and the angels of God are going up and down on it. And he wakes up and he says, this is the city of God. This is God's house. And it's a ladder not being built from the ground up like Tower of Babel was. It's a ladder coming from the top down. And he says, this is it. This is how we have access with God. Him coming down to us. And we read further on in the story and we go from Babel to Bethel to where? Bethlehem. And there God in ultimate and fullest and final fashion says, I will come, not from bottom up, but from top down. I will come and I will reach my hand of grace down to this fallen humanity and I will send my son. And that's why when Jesus is an adult, he looks at this guy, Nathaniel in John 1, and he says, hey man, I saw you even before Philip called you. I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel says, man, that's amazing. And Jesus says, you marvel at this? You're gonna see greater things than that because I tell you this, you're gonna see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And what he was saying was, I am Bethel. 
fallen humanity tried to make itself right, make itself a name by coming from the bottom up. But no, God progressively throughout history has shown it's not bottom up, it's top down. And I am the fulfillment of that. I am the final installment. I am Bethel. I am the house of God. I am your way to access this God. And so Jesus lives and he dies for fallen humanity on the cross and then rises again to prove that his death payment was sufficient. Amen. And he says, I am going and I am going to return. But in the meantime, I am going to send my spirit upon my people. And I am going to unite my people by my spirit so that they now can go out and fulfill the final end gathering of the nations to myself. And so as Pastor Keith read from Acts 2 on Pentecost, the spirit was given. And what was the sign of the spirit? Tongues of fire. And men were gathered and women from every part of the known world at that time, visitors from Rome, Cretans, uh, uh, those from uh, Arabia, all those peoples and languages were there and they heard finally God saying, Here is the promise of good that you've been waiting for. And I'm gonna use my people and I'm gonna use my church and I'm gonna fill them with my spirit to such a degree that I will enable them now to gather men and women and children from every tribe and every race and every nation and every tongue so that they may gather them together to be worshipers, Jesus says, of me. The only one so worthy that he cannot be praised by just one language. See, that's another thing he was doing at Babel. <laughs> God knew that his son was gonna be so grand and so good and so glorious that, that for all eternity, he was gonna need the praises of not just one tongue, but myriads of tongues. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Oh yeah, we need thousands and thousands of tongues to fill up what Jesus has done, to, to praise him enough for what he's done. And now we church, we get to go filled with the power of that spirit. Across the pond and across the street, we get to go. We get to go and gather them in to the one God known as Jesus. Which brings me back to my language confusion story. Remember, I was kicking the dirt. I was walking the, down the pathway. I was so frustrated. And I, and I said these words, God, what have you done? Don't realize what you're doing right now. Do you really know what you're up to, God? That's, that's what I was thinking. But I said, God, what have you done? And as soon as I said that, I heard a voice from behind me say, thankfully in English, excuse me, are you David the Baptist? I turned around. And there was a Zambian man who had come to know Jesus. It's a highly, predominantly Catholic area that taught a very works-based salvation, but he had come to know the gospel of grace. And he said, will you come and teach me the Bible? And I said, Sure. And I went back to my little prison cell room and I got down on that cement floor and I wet my eyes out because God reminded me, David, I'm in control. <laughs> and your task is the same. 
There is good you are to do. And it is by heralding and living this gospel in front of the people that I have placed you around. Church, our task is the same, isn't it? And of that, there is no confusion. Would you pray with me?